0: hey y'all this is the 11th episode of the southern lodge podcast tonight the guys and i will be discussing some hunting laws we want to see about changing or if we want to keep them the same we're going to give a little preview of the sec west and uh, to add to our southern lodge list debate we're going to give our top five superhero movies so pull up a chair to the fire and welcome to the southern lodge Well, hey y'all. How's it going? Tonight, uh we're going to get a little more outdoorsy. We've been sticking to the sports lately, but we're going to get back to the outdoor topics cuz it's the middle of summer. Well, maybe past the little middle of summer, but we're getting a little antsy. We're getting antsy for that cold weather to come back in and do some hunting activities. So, Aaron, Aaron's our Mississippi hunter. He's our resident average outdoorsman, and he's got some things that have just been bothering him with these old hunting laws. And he wants to air him out. He wants to see what our opinion is. Uh, I say our opinion, but uh, old Danny isn't going to be on the podcast tonight. He's he's lost somewhere out in the great beyond. We don't know where he is. He doesn't send a a fax or a call or a text or a smoke signal. Uh, so if you see a uh, if you see a six foot three says he's six foot five, white man, uh, blonde hair, blue eyes, might be Aaron. We don't know uh answers to danny maybe gives you a war eagle just just tell him to come on back to the lodge uh but aaron ha- oh i forgot how are you doing tonight aaron
1: michael i'm doing fantastic thank you for asking i've uh, got me a glass of southern lodge sweet tea as usual thinking about uh those fall days that are just so close to us man i've got the ac cranked down in the house it's blowing that cold air if i close my eyes and think about camouflage uh gear and that that uh, summit climbing stand sitting in my closet just ready to go uh, the smell of uh, a freshly oiled gun mike i just that's my happy place it gets gets uh, you going tingly all over and then i start thinking about those days where even when you you go out and sit in the stand and you don't hang anything up in the uh, skin and shed you still got stuff to look forward to because then it's time for if it's the morning, it's time for coffee and cinnamon rolls. And if it's in the evening, it's time for firing up the grill and, uh, maybe getting a little campfire going, and putting an adult beverage in a, a, a glass with some ice cubes and just enjoying it, man. Fall is the best time of year and it is so close to us. So close.
0: You, you paint a pretty picture. I like it. Uh, so so what are these old, I wouldn't say old, but what are these game laws that you, you were just not a fan of or you think could use some changing?
1: Well, Mike, since we're around the fire anyway, I thought we would talk about some of the things that I know we have had conversations about at the camp. And these are, these are general conversations. I think they could apply in uh, any state that hunts. And... uh I'm interested to hear your opinion on whether these these laws are strict enough for the areas we hunt, um, or are they uh, not strict enough? So are they Mm. too strict, or are they not strict enough? And, uh, well, let's jump right into it. The first one I've got on here, this is a hot topic, man, and certain parts of the country gets people either fired up uh, because they're against it, or they're fired up because they're for it. So there's really not a whole lot of middle ground on that, and this is dog hunting that I'm talking about. So uh, I think the, the topics to debate here is if you've got a dog hunting club, should the states regulate the minimum size that that dog hunting club should be? Do you think that in dog hunting clubs there should be a required uh, quarter quarter mile buffer zone um, maybe eighth of a mile buffer zone I don't know where they actually don't intend to hunt and that's where they catch their dogs at Um, and then the the third topic under dog hunting is fair chase if a deer is driven in front of you by a dog that is from a, a neighboring property is it ethical for you not a member of that dog hunting club to shoot it so let's go with these one at a time if if a, a club is going to be a designated dog hunting club, okay, or if uh, the members of that club are going to engage in dog hunting during a legal state season, should that club have a minimum size restriction in acreage?
0: Yes. I don't know what it is. What kind of size are you thinking? Um just based off what i've hunted before gauging land sizes i would have to say minimum a thousand acres minimum but that would see the thing about dog hunting is you have to have areas so you release your dogs and then they chase the deer you've got to have lanes or roads that you or 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 whatever to shoot the deer if you've got a thousand acres but no lanes, it really does you no good if you're going to stand on the edge of your property and shoot deer. You get what I'm saying.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think you would. I would almost have to say you would have to. It would have to really regulate it and maybe say you have to have designated firing lanes that have to be so wide or so far away from your property boundaries. Maybe I don't know, but um, I think we've briefly discussed dog hunting before on the show, and I've made my thoughts on it very clear. I think dog hunting is very antiquated. It is legal right now, I, and only I think about seven to ten states. I listed them last time. I can't remember how many it is. I think it's seven to ten, but I just think it's it ain't it's not barbaric, but it's just antiquated where you can't tell if it's got antlers you don't know how big it is you don't know how many points it is uh if it's a doe running by herself you don't know how really how big it is so uh but if they're going to continue to do it i think you at minimum a thousand acres and uh, they, I think it's it's already illegal. You can't hunt on highways anyway, but people still do it. I mean, you can drive down a back road in Mississippi or Alabama during hunting season, and you'll see guys standing on the edge of the road with their guns out, which is very illegal. Um, but I think you should have to have built-in hunting lanes inside
1: your property.
0: Uh, what, what do you is a thousand too small to you? Too big? What you think, Aaron?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know. Uh man there's a couple things that you just said that i need to touch on the 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 size first of all in my head when i wrote this question i'm thinking five thousand acres and it does depend on how many people are actually going to be hunting that club but if i was going to do it and let's establish the fact here right now dog hunting is super fun it's a blast i've been dog hunting for deer and dog hunting for squirrel and if I was given the opportunity, I'd go bird hunting with dogs. Uh, I would, I would go rabbit hunting with dogs in a heartbeat because it's a blast, man. They do most of the work. It's a social event. It's not like uh, still hunting where it's more of, I'm gonna say spiritual because you're really quiet and in that time you're reflecting, you're taking in nature. Dog hunting is like sporty, man. Like you're you're moving, you're. Uh, well, shooting the breeze with your friend and then when the dog goes off, it's go time and it's fast paced. It's a lot of fun. So Well, counter,
0: counterpoint to you on that is yeah, I agree. Dog hunting over birds or squirrel or small game is fun because they don't go well, you can only shoot that bird if it measures out to 5 inches or you can only shoot that rabbit if it's got 3 inch ears. There's legal limits that they set on deer and a deer can run at over like 20 miles an hour so my that's, so that's my the second, thing yeah
1: i do want to touch on that because i agree with you 100 percent. okay there here's the thing when you're still hunting still hunting a lot of people still accidentally shoot button bucks and spikes and that's when they've had time to watch the deer much less have a deer bolt in front of you and you have to shoot it before it hits the next tree line or something The one time I went deer hunting with dogs, we were on uh, about a 250-acre parcel of land, the one you and I leased. They told me to be ready, and I didn't know what that meant. So I'm standing there with the gun in my shoulder, and the safety still turned on, so the gun was still safe. I heard the dogs coming, but they sounded really far off. And then, boom, the brush crackles and crushes, the deer shoots across a small food plot that I was standing on. I had about a half-second window to shoot that deer. The safety would have had to been turned off. Judging, did it have antlers or not, I'll never know. In my mind, it was a doe, but it could have easily been a spike or button buck. The ears in the, are, were in the alert position, uh, or even if they were kicked back, I still wouldn't have seen them because usually a spike those uh, those two antlers that you know the quote-unquote spikes they're angled backwards so man it, it it's it a hundred percent I guarantee if we audited dog hunting clubs uh, which I don't know how how legal it is for the game warden to just drive up to their skin and sheds on opening days but guarantee you there's there's a legal deer being killed but on the other flip side of that uh, the opposite side of that argument if they came in any club they'd find illegal deer at times because you know, like i just said i mean it happens people accidentally shoot illegal bucks button bucks uh cow horns even spikes they, they shoot them accidentally thinking they're a doe right so it's probably happening all over the place in my mind it's happening more prevalently with dog hunters than it is with still hunters but uh, man, I as far as the land size discussion goes, I think if you're if you know a 10 to 20 man club and you're dog hunting, 5,000 acres, let's say you' let's say you're taking your team of dogs because it's a group event. You don't just like take a dog over here and a dog over here. You group the dogs together and you target a specific area of land, and then you run those dogs across the land to your shooters. So you've got the dog handlers, then you've got the shooters typically. I think you're probably hunting 250 acres at a time when you do that. Uh that that gives you your that gives you a certain amount of your land that you're putting under pressure every day. And in the dog hunting season, if you're hunting 250 acres and you try to hunt fresh territory every day, they're going to have to cross I don't know. They'd have to have 10 different days at least that they could hunt. And on top of that, I argue that they need to leave part of their club untouched; that they don't pressure deer, because otherwise they're gonna they're going to pressure deer off of their property. Right, uh, and that's that's a theory that's not backed up with science. I, I've heard I've I've read articles that argue it both ways. If there's too much pressure, the deer will leave. I've read articles where uh, even pressured deer stay there because it's their home range and they're not going to leave. But uh, for for the sake of this argument, I'm going to say five thousand acres. All
0: right, yeah,
1: and it probably should be it probably should be more like 2500 acres per 10 members. you know there's probably that's probably the better way to go. How big is your club? If you're talking like a 30 man club, 40 man club, you probably got to have 10,000 acres to, to really because you might send uh, the one day I dog hunted we went on 250 acres and we crossed the whole thing in one day. We We hit the whole territory so i mean if and that was five of us hunting so you know if you got a 40 man club you could divide into eight teams and dog hunt um 250 acres each of you so you you got to have a lot of land dog hunting
0: yeah and that goes back to yeah you need a lot of land because just because your dog runs past you chasing them deer doesn't mean they're going to stop and we've had the problems before of uh, dogs getting on our land, and I mean it's it's really inconvenient to still hunters that don't like to run dogs, but their hunts still every year get interrupted by loose dogs that you just have no control over once you let them go.
1: It it'll ruin a moment for a serious uh, still hunter, and and a lot of still hunters, and this is unethical. I, I agree with this; it is unethical. A lot of still hunters will shoot dogs. Uh, there, I saw a video on Facebook about a guy saying, uh, you know, this a-hole is getting a year in prison or something for shooting my dog. And then you watch the video, and it makes the dog hunter look like a saint and the still hunter look like a criminal. And and I, I'm I'm fairly certain it's illegal in most states to do that, animal cruelty, you know. Yeah. Uh, now, if the, the dog's attacking you and you've got wounds or something, I'm sure you could argue self-defense and no problem, but uh, – in reality, it doesn't give you the backstory. Like, was this dog uh, routinely running across this guy's property? Were they routinely trespassing on his land? I mean, probably not in that case, but I understand the frustration. I've been ticked off before. There was one time, uh, you, you've heard the story many a times, where I was hunting that cutover, and that guy came out there and surveyed the land and acted like he worked for the landowner very next day, they ran dogs right across that cutover and and jumped a deer in front of me. And I, I had a chance to shoot it. And to this day, I, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I should have shot that deer because then I could have caught the dog. And then I could have had a really, I could have done a ass chewing on that dog <laughs> owner, you know. Uh, and then I'd have had evidence, you know, because there's no land around there to justify Running dogs. He was obviously trespassing. Uh, it's private land on all sides, and it's not uh, not typically hunted land. That is the only parcel in there big enough to actually hunt. Um, the moral of that, or the the end of that story, is that my brother was hunting the edge of that property. As soon as that deer cleared the property line, he heard a gunshot. Mm. So, in our minds, they ran dogs, ran that deer right off our property, and shot it. And uh, that there's some unethical dog hunters that, that ruin the name for everybody. And there's a lot of dog hunters who do follow the law and they are courteous and they are ethical. And I, I, I do hate that. I hate that they get a bad image for what a few unethical turds do to the bunch. Yeah, I, I don't know, man.
0: Hmm. Uh, was, uh, was that your whole thing about next... dogs or did you have another? Yeah. What was your other point?
1: Well, well, we'll skip the buffer zone conversation because that's included in our, our land size topic. And I, I feel like we touched on that. The next thing I had is an ethics question. Is it ethical to shoot a deer that is driven in front of you by dogs that came from a neighboring property? So it's not you actively running the dogs, but they run the deer in front of you while you're hunting. So... Picture yourself on a food plot. Uh, Maybe it's a pipeline stand, and uh, you hear the dogs coming, so you're like, I might see a deer. You put the gun out the window. The deer runs into the pipeline. It takes a second and looks around. You have enough time to put the crosshairs on it and shoot it. Is that ethical?
0: Yes, because nobody owns the deer. That deer, yeah, it ran from another property. So yeah, at one point it was on theirs and they had the chance to shoot at it. But once it crossed that property line, it became your deer. So yeah, they just weren't in a spot to shoot the deer. So it came onto your property. It is okay to shoot your deer as long as it is a legal deer. Why wouldn't it be ethical to shoot uh, a, a free running deer on property that you own or lease?
1: So I, I think your your argument is is for legal, I think. I argue that it is legal to shoot that deer. And that, that deer is fair game to you if you're the legal owner of the rights to shoot or hunt on that property. I agree with you. The ethics conversation comes into what was your intention how did you intend to hunt on that land and if you if you're not out this deer however they come you're out there as a still hunter trying to attract deer to a food plot for them to graze in the field and you to remain undetected and then and then shoot and harvest a deer under that line of logic i think it is unethical to shoot a deer that's been run onto your property by dogs because that's that was not your target. That was not your intention. Uh, now, that being said, I'm going to have a tough time passing up a big buck that runs out in front of me being chased by dogs. And I, I might eat my words on this one. But I think <laughs> if if objectively looking at the topic from ethics and legal, which they're not always the same thing, it's tough to say that that is, that is ethical to do, to shoot that deer.
0: Well, to me, unethical would be If you shot an illegal deer, which to me is unethical because it's, it's a deer you shouldn't harvest. and If you do, that's, it's also illegal and unethical, but if you, or if you are not, if the deer is running and you are not a proficient hunter where you can, uh, shoot that deer and give it the quickest death that you are uh, possible to do then yeah that's unethical but if you're a decent hunter and you have a shot that you feel like you can take with good accuracy percentage I don't think it's unethical if it's a legal deer it meets all the criteria because you know who's to say if you're not still hunting and you don't know a dog that, okay, so maybe the dogs are far away, but that deer is still running. What's to say that if you were hunting and you were just sitting there still hunting and a deer ran in because maybe there was a coyote chasing it or, or it heard a four-wheeler somewhere far away and it was just running anyway, what is the difference between shooting that deer and a deer that was run by dogs as long as it was a legal deer to shoot and you killed it in the most humane way possible? What's the difference? Yeah,
1: uh, I would argue the the deer that's being run out by coyotes or fox or whatever uh, natural predator might be doing that, I, and I guess you could argue to an extent that a dog is a natural predator, but it's also been trained by humans for that purpose, so it's not it's not completely natural.
0: Wolves, wolves hunt that's deer. That's the difference to me. Dogs come from wolves. Wait, wait, is, wolves is it a hunt wolf? deer.
1: Is is it a wolf though that is completely wild that's running the deer though, or is it a uh, what's that word uh, domestic animal that's been trained to pursue deer? That that's the difference.
0: Well, really, that training is just bringing out natural instincts because if you have a cat and you sit there and you run your hand in front of it, it's still going to pounce because that's what it gets from its larger cat cousins is pouncing on, you know, it's training to attack, to kill. Uh, dogs have have buried natural instincts that training and hunting just bring, I mean, training and, and um, use just bring out in them. Like, yeah. So like a like a lab and, it, it's been I mean it 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 just knows that it loves the water. You don't have to teach it to love the water. You train it to do things in the water, but it loves the water. It that's what it does. Uh you know.
1: I, and I'm using the wrong term here, so we might as well correct. I'm using the term ethical. This conversation between me and you is really about morals mm. because we can disagree on morals i i argue that it's immoral to shoot the deer that's being chased by a domestic dog that's been trained that's not your dog and not not your intention you're arguing that it that it is okay so to you it's moral to me it's immoral if we had a third person hypothetically like danny and danny says no man it's okay to shoot that deer then now you and him agree y'all are the majority of this group so now it is in our group ethical to shoot that deer even though i don't agree with it the group does so the collection of our morals equals our ethical code so in this conversation this is just morals we're talking individually if we pulled 100 hunters and 78 of them said it's okay to shoot the deer then it becomes ethical to shoot that deer because Mm. most of us agree that it's okay sounds like society
0: changing right there
1: yeah all right, so I don't know we're a little a little split on that, but that's okay. Uh, the next conversation probably won't be very long. I, I, I'm curious to know why some states put a daily bag limit on bucks and And I don't think it's just one state or two states. I think several states have this and, and then at the same time, they allow multiple does to be harvested in one day. So I, I wonder why. If you've got a season limit, for example, Mississippi's season limit on bucks is three. And then in certain areas, the doe limit is either one or... Th- no, wait, it's two or three. And, and they may have went to four this year. I don't, I don't remember. I think it's still three, though. But you can take all three of those does in the very same day if you'd like. You're just you're done with DOE's for the rest of the season, supposedly. But because we don't have a tagging system, it's hard to track. However, bucks, it's one buck per day, three per season. So I'm curious what do you think about that? I I don't know that I see an issue with taking more than one in a day as long as you're adhering to the three per season. What do you think the line of thinking is there?
0: I don't know if it's maybe um, a territorial thing, like. It, I, but I mean, most of the most of the hunting done in Mississippi and everywhere, it's you, you lease the track of land. I don't know if it was something made when public land was really in vogue, where they were like, if you're hunting this one area, we don't want you to clean it out of bucks in one day, so you know you'll hunt there you know you'll hunt in this one area one day and then you'll move to another area the next day so I don't know if it's if it's just like an outdated thing because most people are on the same track and land now or what but I really don't have a good a good idea why it is I mean I know that's what it is and what we've always hunted but I have no idea why like I said the only thing I think is they were trying to keep some kind of population from being cleared out in a single area, maybe.
1: Yeah, I think in Mississippi, you have a higher likelihood, a higher probability of being in the stand and having a a doe sighting and seeing a doe. To me, it makes more sense to be okay with taking... Under that line of thinking, it's okay to say you can take more than one doe in a day, but because bucks are less probable that you're going to see them be stricter and say you can only take one per day i get it i just didn't understand I, I only probably only once have i even had the opportunity to harvest more than one buck in a single day so i i maybe that's why uh it's it's the impact size on it would be so small i think i i, I doubt we'd even notice a, a difference in the harvest record for that year if we allowed for multiple buck harvest in a single day yeah i don't know i was just curious i wanted to pick your brain on that i i don't know
0: yours kind of uh, i like i one. like your explanation it makes a little more sense than mine
1: <laughs> you know supposedly our doe population in mississippi right now is is, a, is unbalanced and they're trying to bring it down and then uh based on hunter surveys they uh, more hunters were saying don't shoot does uh i don't know man i i'm a big fan of uh growing deer tv and grant woods and man they they harvest some does up there but they know what their food source is for their their land they know what their carrying capacity is a lot of people aren't that into the science and they're they're just going off of what they see and and what they they want to sit in the stand and see deer every time so they're scared to shoot does
0: mm yeah and uh Uh, we've known people like that that don't don't shoot does and we don't agree with or i i think we don't agree with it so
1: there's nothing wrong with taking uh as many does as you do bucks for sure uh the 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 bottom logic there is when we go into the woods our primary target our desired target is a mature buck Mm. we can't get there if we shoot the little bucks the does are not our primary target. Does can attract the primary target, but if you have too many does, it can be counterproductive to your goal. So, yeah, man, uh, it it just depends on where you're at. You got to know how much food you got though, because does does eat a lot of food. You you told us one time on this show how much food one deer consumes in a year.
0: Seven a pounds pile. of food a day. At least seven pounds of food a day.
1: Yeah, man. If you're running around on uh, I don't know, fifteen or twenty does per acre, that's a crap ton of food.
0: That's right. That's why they all then, tell. That's why they everybody tells you you should feed during the summer. You should plant more than once a year.
1: Man, uh, okay. The last topic under uh, state game laws that could be especially white-tailed deer state game laws, uh, tagging systems are you in favor of them against them what do you think
0: I, I wouldn't be opposed to a tagging system because i'm a legal hunter and if i shot a deer and they i had to tag it then you know that's what i would do the the problem with tagging is it, like it is with everything else you got to worry about the outlaws you know you and i and the people we hunt with they would follow the rules cuz that's what they do And, you know, I talk about outlaws and illegal hunters on here like they're just running rampant, which they're really not. It's probably maybe a 95 to 5 or could be even smaller split than that. But there's always going to be people that if you can kill 3 does a year and 3 bucks, they're going to kill 10 does and 5 bucks or as many deer as they can see. Uh, What I do like about a tagging system is it gives you a tracking method. And it, it gives you a little more um data on the deer being collected by legal hunters in your state because you know if if you had to apply for your tags every year and then when you turned it in they would know that you know Aaron shot three does and one buck and they would know I shot two does and three bucks or something so they would know you would know general you would know a little bit better about what was being taken from your state than as opposed to no tags and you're just Get, you're doing spot checks of, of territories and spot checks of, you know, some hunting camps to see what they've taken for the year or whatnot. So uh, I think that could be a, a positive of a tagging system.
1: I think we're at a point with technology, and some states may already be doing this, I'd love to see a tagging system where when you, when you buy your, your state hunting license, they distribute your tags to you with a QR code on them that is linked to you, okay? And I'm cool with this because I'm hunting legally and I'm in a club that hunts legally. I'm sure people who do not hunt legally are against tagging systems, but we're to the point right now where each of us can contribute to whitetail deer research in our state if we had like a tagging system with a QR code. So what I'm proposing is you you harvest a deer. Hypothetically, opening day of the season, I see about a 110-pound doe. I harvest her. Uh, I tag her. As soon as I get her to the skin and shed or a place where I could weigh her, I take a picture of the QR code and I input data about that deer that I harvested. What county did I harvest her from? How much did she weigh? What is her overall appearance? Uh, what weapon did I use to harvest her? Uh, what was the crop that uh, or the habitat that I harvested her from? I mean, we could gather so much information uh, with, with an easy map. Have you ever used those QR codes? I mean, if you have an Apple phone, you just you open the camera and you put that QR code in front of it. It brings up the website. You click on it. It could ask you seven or eight questions about it take you a minute out of your day and you're contributing to the, the improvement of wildlife management in your state. That'd that's be, right. would be such an easy thing.
0: It would. That's a great idea. Uh,
1: same, the same thing for bucks too. But the only thing is you're going to have a percentage of the hunting population that isn't going to want to contribute. So you're only going to get information and data from, I don't know, maybe 50 to 60%, but that's still better than information and data from nobody.
0: Right. I mean, I agree. I agree with you. Uh, some information is better than none. And uh, even if everybody, even if it's not mandatory, it's just optional, you'll still be able to, they would still be able to say, you know, they sold a uh, thousand hunting licenses and 300 people input their data. They could extrapolate off of percentages and get close to kind of what uh you know they could go off averages and extrapolate it from there and get a get a better understanding of what they're getting now. So
1: I might need to send an email, huh?
0: You might need to, or or that's link a to the idea. podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah. All right, man. That's all I got. You want to jump into some football talk?
0: Well, uh, before we get going on football, I've got another outdoor topic that. I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast and uh, his newest one that came out was about, um, he had a a wildlife biologist or a biologist and a a, a guy that owns a farm up in Wisconsin. It's one that he's done the meat eater show with. Uh, He's gone with Stephen Ranil up there and hunted. And they were talking about chronic wasting disease, which we've talked about before. And uh, I'm not going to say we're smart or whatnot, but the, the scientists talked about exactly what we talked about. So we're pretty smart. But he brought up, and they talked about the feeding together in the the high fence farms are producing them like factories, which may be causing it. And um, uh, but that's not that I don't want to talk about deer. What I want to talk about is the pigs, because um, in Missouri, which is I believe where Growing Deer TV is located, um, you know the pigs are a big problem. In the south, and they're they're moving. They're Texas, Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama. They're moving, and they're moving north, and they're moving out. And you know, a lot a lot of farms are paying hunters to come in and kill the pigs because I, I think the statistic they gave on Joe's podcast was like it, a pig population could destroy up to like ten percent of a farmer's farm or or ten percent of his money or something like that off his profit. So you know, normally there's no limit on pigs and there's really, you can, the pigs are almost one, the only animal that you can spotlight or infrared. You can pretty much do anything. You could blow pigs up. They're like the only animal you can do anything you want. Well, um, and Texas, you can hunt them out of helicopters, which sounds and looks amazing. You should check out the videos on YouTube of air pig killing. Um, but in Missouri they figured out that they have actually made it illegal to hunt pigs because what they were figuring out was that the hunt that people were actually bringing pigs into areas so they could hunt them or that hunters weren't the best option because they may be only shooting one to two pigs of a litter what Missouri does is they go in and mash trap them so they'll go and trap Anywhere from like sixty to a hundred pigs at a time in these huge traps, and then um, terminate them or whatnot, so that is how Missouri is choosing to deal with their pig population, which uh, kind of made sense to me because when the guy the guy said sixty seventy pigs you were like he was explaining you know if one hundred only killed one to three pigs a day or a night or only got one, it would take him a long time to get them sixty seven pigs. but if you set up these big traps and you can do that all at one time, you know you're going to deal with the popul- population a lot quicker. So, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, man, uh, hogs just breed so fast. Uh, they're they're like sexually mature in less than a year. I want to say it's like eight months they can have their first litter of piglets. You're the the general approach of if you see one, shoot it. That's it's great and all. I guess it's better than nothing. I was watching a uh, a video the other day. A guy had a thermal scope and and it's one of those that you can uh, record as you hunt on, and it's really cool. He about eight thousand bucks is what he said he spent on it. Most of us don't have that, uh, but <laughs> even so even with that, even with that technology, he showed me the video, and I think we counted eight hogs in the video. And he's he's panning around, you know, um, showing how many are out there, and they're 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 eating in a field. It's probably got some corn spread out, and then he goes to shooting. And out of the eight, he hits about four of them and kills them. Uh, and and him and I guess his sons all together ended up harvesting about twenty hogs that night, big hogs too. At at the end of the day, though, if four of those hogs got away seven months from now you could have 200 hogs if they all if they wait that'd be 20 they can have you can have say to, it's it's one like 12 three or four months yeah yeah up to 12 so i guess i guess it'd be more like around 100 hogs so you'd be right back to the same population the good thing about those traps you can set up videos do some recon you can do a population estimate just by putting corn out and you can take the entire population out in a certain area. I don't know, hundred or 200 acres, uh, within a couple weeks, you can, you can eradicate them all. Right. And, and there's a good chance that they won't come back if you get them all. So yeah, those ones, especially the ones with like the trap door, that's remote operated where you can watch the video, wait till you get all of them in there or most of them in there and then shut the trap doors and then you go back uh you know you go over there either immediately or the next day and uh, what's the word uh
0: euthanize
1: yeah there's another word it's like dispatch or something like uh, you you just go over there and and you shoot them all
0: yeah massacre basically <laughs> i just want to get your thought on a state taking um Taking an animal out of circulation for hunters to harvest um, to try and um, take care of the population uh, to get rid of a nuisance animal. Yeah. So. All right. So uh, we're going to move on to the sporting news of the day. Uh, it's getting to be August which means in September it's college football on Saturdays yeah baby um and then we got the NFL preseason kicking off right now you got you got college football uh camp starting uh, it's just football everywhere it's a great time to be an american um <laughs> But Aaron is uh, an SEC West fan because he roots for the Bulldogs. And then Danny is uh, an Auburn fan. He likes some drunk Auburn Tiger. I don't know. It's very common a lot of Tigers. Um, I actually brought this up to an LSU fan. She was uh, asking why I was a Tennessee fan. And I, of course, said Peyton Manning. And then I just said the color orange is amazing. And uh, I said, you know, I wish I could be a fan of a team uh, that had such a common mascot as a tiger and her response back to me was well at least we have a live tiger on campus and and you know that's true but there's still like 11 other college football teams that have like the tiger as a mascot so if you want to be yeah. common and basic you know the bulldog is like the second most common so there you go yep. uh, only one volunteer but uh so uh what do you do you want to start with Mississippi State or do you want to uh, do you want to talk about how we think the west will shake out this year Wh- what do you want to do
1: Uh I guess we'll go alphabetically is that okay or do you want to go by ranking what we think how we think it'll fall uh,
0: I think our rankings are going well, to be very similar um yeah, let's just go well, alphabetical. Let's yeah. just go alphabetical, and then we'll rank them, or okay. where we okay. think they'll finish. Uh,
1: so that puts us with Alabama first, right?
0: First in more than one way, if you catch my meaning.
1: Okay. okay. <laughs> so Foreshadowing. I don't know that this even. This may not even be a, a long preview for them. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure they were picked first in the SEC West by SEC Media Days. Uh they're also gonna Nick be Saban number one back. in the
0: uh preseason coaches poll, so in the country.
1: They've uh they've gotta replace their defensive coordinator.
0: They replace both right. coordinators.
1: Both coordinators. Maybe
0: wow. a special teams coach. I don't know. But yeah. Won't they skip ha- a beat though. No. No. You know why? Because Sabin is so smart about that. Sabin. Any coordinator that comes in, he goes. This is the offense we run. You can you can modify it a little bit. You can add some quirks, but he said this. Is, he goes. This is the language you're going to use. We call this wide receiver this. We call this one this. We don't. You know, you're not going to change this to the ZX receiver because we call it the AB receiver. So. Saban said my players know this you're going to change your system to fit their terminology to fit what they like or to fit what we run and that's how Saban stays consistent with bringing in different coordinators all the time which is very smart
1: right right uh you know the one thing about him that makes him such a great coach when you get into a leadership position it's difficult to to always know what the details are. It's difficult to always be able... The, the saying I've heard that, that we had in school was you need to be able to see things from 10,000 feet, but operate it from the ground. Mm. And so you need to be able to get up there and know where you're going, know what the vision is, but you need to get down on the ground and navigate through the details. And like Saban does that. I, I've heard that when, when he has practice... I say heard. I read this in a sports article that when he has practice, he goes through each position with each player and talks about what they do and what situations. And he doesn't move on until they get it. So that's why they're such a consistent team. They don't just skip over things. They get down and dirty in the trenches with the details. So... I don't know. My prediction for them is to be first again in the SEC West. They're gonna end up in Atlanta if I had to to put my money on something. Uh, they they probably will lose a game. Uh, there there's there's solid competition in the SEC. Uh, I don't know who's gonna be that surprise uh it's probably not you know for a while there it was old miss it's probably not going to be old miss but you know they they do have auburn lsu has the talent to beat them they just don't always put it together um mississippi state is going to be talented can we make it happen with a new coach with a different scheme with a different uh psych uh mentality going into the game can somebody could make it happen It it could be there, the, the days of an unbeaten Alabama may be past, but the the days of an elite Alabama are not past.
0: Well, you know, Alabama, the there was the number one inside linebacker for 2018, asked Washington for his release from his national letter of intent, and they did, and he immediately signed with Alabama, so the rich get richer. But I want to get your, and you know, we'll, we'll end the Alabama discussion on this, because like I said, we don't need to talk about them all show, but... What do you think about the quarterback drama that's happening at Alabama and the way, because Jalen Hurts has has recently come out and said that uh, he doesn't like the way it was handled and that coaches didn't talk to him about stuff. And what do you think? What do you think about it? And who do you think is going to be the starting quarterback?
1: Okay, help me out with names here for a second. The okay. the last offensive coordinator at Alabama.
0: Um, I don't know. I know he came from the Patriots. He was the tight end coach for the Patriots, and now he's the offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills. Don't know his name. The
1: one before that, then the one before Lane that. Coach Kiffin Tennessee for Lane, Lane Kiffin. Kiffin. Jalen Hurts is a Lane Kiffin quarterback. He he was a, a dual threat, uh, aggressive type of offense. Uh, Blazing runner, AJ McCarran is more of the style of quarterback that Saban wants. So that being said, Jalen Hurts is lucky that he had the job in the first place. That's not really the school that fits his skill set. I'm not sure. I don't know how to say this guy's name. Tua Tagovailoa. That, yeah, that's why they it call first, him. I can it. That's
0: why they call him Tua.
1: Tua. Right. Tua. <laughs> Tua may not even be that type of quarterback. He may still be in that recruiting scheme that Lane Kiffin started. Alabama is going to get the quarterback who manages the game, makes the passes when he needs to, can read the the, the defense, and uh, can, can call in the plays from the sideline. That's what Saban wants. Saban doesn't want a uh, shoot-from-the-hip, uh, Run off, take off, and run when uh, the play falls apart because Saban doesn't want the play to fall apart. Saban wants the play to go exactly like they planned it and practiced it. So he, neither one of these guys really fit the mold. So Hertz is lucky that he's even in the situation he's in, but he may be happier at another school and he may be more utilized and have a have a higher potential for a Heisman Trophy at another school.
0: Well. I think, and just based off one half of football, Tua, to me, seems to be the more athletically gifted. And, you know, I think you're right. Saban did want the game managers, but that was when Saban had defenses that were only giving up nine points a game and he could run the ball and two touchdowns would win him every game of the year. But honestly, Alabama, they've had good defenses relative to the rest of college football, but to the history of Nick Saban, they've kind of been given up a few more points. Um, so I think I think Saban would like the game manager, but I don't think I don't think Saban can afford to have the game manager anymore when uh, quick strike offenses have become more normal in college football. So I think he does need that quarterback that can make a little something happen and not just the one that can check down and, and hit the five yard pass. So the running back gets two shots at get, gaining the five yards to get the first down. Um, so yeah. but I think, I think Tua will be the starter. I know he's been held back because he had the hand injury, but I think with hurts coming out and saying something publicly and, uh, just, I've I've got plenty of friends that are Alabama fans, and if you were to listen to them, you would have never known that Jalen Hurts was twenty six and two or whatever he was at Alabama, just because they couldn't believe at how much he had won because of how rudimentary his his play style was. So, I think with him coming out and talking to the media, and with what Tua showed in the national championship game, he's going to get the nod.
1: Tua's gonna get the nod.
0: I think Tua's gonna start. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of see that coming down the pipe. I don't, I don't think Saban's gonna put up with uh, social media uh, drama. So, all right, man, you ready to move on?
0: I'm ready to move on to that Auburn Taiga.
1: So your, your your final thoughts on Alabama? Predicting them to be number one in the West possibly undefeated but more than likely uh one loss team.
0: Uh yes, probably a one loss team. Um but I think it's going to come down to Auburn Alabama. I think the Iron Bowl is going to be very important again this year. Um and wait, where does Alabama play Mississippi State?
1: At Alabama.
0: Uh never mind. It's going to come down to the Iron Bowl then. If it was a Mississippi State home game, if it was a Mississippi State home game with first year head coach, I would say that would that would be a very tough game. But playing in Bryant Denny, first year head coach in the SEC, yes, Nick Fitzgerald is a beast. The two defensive linemen Mississippi State have are potential first round draft picks. But yeah, I got to give home field advantage to Alabama against Mississippi State this year.
1: Okay, yeah. okay, wait, 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 I th- you might have said that wrong. Did you just say you've got to give home field advantage to Alabama or Mississippi state? To
0: Alabama against Mississippi State?
1: Oh, okay, okay, yeah, I think everybody knew what you meant. Okay. Uh, all right, man, I think the next one up is Arkansas. I have to brush up on my kindergarten oh, alphabetic yeah. uh, alphabet skills, but
0: well, Auburn's just so or Arkansas is just so bad I immediately skipped over them to get to Auburn because I think Arkansas is going to finish last in the West, and there may be one SEC East team below them in the overall standings, but Arkansas is going to be – they've got some talent there from Brett Bielema leaving. He, he, Brett Bieleman didn't lose the team like most coaches do That when they get fired. He just wasn't going to get over the hump. I think I think college football had kind of played itself out and if you read his comments because he's now a special assistant to Bill Belichick in the NFL his comments are very pro college or pro NFL football as in these are the best players in the world he was going through drills and he just realized what the difference between the college and the pro game was so he may have checked out a little bit mentally but he definitely didn't leave Arkansas Bayer, but um oh who's he got the coach came from s m u Why am I blanking on his name? but it's just a different personnel requirement between their two offensive systems, so I think it's he's gonna have good dudes. It's not like most coaches where they lose the team and they maybe recruit some questionable people to try and get a bump. Belama left the guy, good dude. So he'll have a strong team. I just don't think with them changing philosophies, he's probably going to have the right personnel to optimally run his systems. So I've got uh, I've yeah, actually, yeah, I've got them finishing last in the West.
1: Okay, that's that's a fair judgment. I'm going to follow uh, and agree with you his name is chad morris there it is uh his his coaching experience is i think texas uh did some high school coaching worked uh worked with clemson offensive coordinator and and extremely talented in that sense uh but in his time at smu not much defense so got a got a great passing offensive mind not so much on the defense uh, if if he can if he can use that SEC talent at Arkansas to develop even a mediocre defense, they could they could be flashy enough to win six or seven games. But uh, that that's really kind of being optimistic, I think, based on his track record. So I'm gonna agree with you. I'm gonna put Arkansas last, and I'm I'm gonna put their window of like it could be really bad, it really could be uh it it could be four or five wins all the way up to at best probably seven
0: yeah I agree i think that's i think that's right that sounds reasonable all right so are are we on to auburn yet, or did I miss another yes. team?
1: nope Auburn's up next
0: what do you think
1: i'm I'm trying to record where we rank them. And how many wins we think, like a bracket of wins? Okay. So for Alabama, I put I put eleven to twelve wins on the regular season. Arkansas, I put four to seven wins. What do you want me to put for you for Alabama? Uh,
0: Alabama, I like wins? I like eleven to twelve. Uh, put me down ten to twelve. Ten to twelve. Uh, Arkansas, okay. three to six.
1: Okay. Gotcha. And this out this right, is without Auburn, looking man. at a
0: schedule, a non-conference schedule, or, or anything. So,
1: yeah, this is not uh, statistical sports reporting. This is uh, all gut and based on really looking at coaching more than yes.
0: Anything. All right, all right, Auburn, Auburn Tigers. What you got? Hmm. Long dramatic pause.
1: I, the, the it's hard to say something wins. nice
0: about Auburn, isn't it?
1: No, not really. Auburn, Auburn shocked me last year. I, I really thought Gus was probably on the last, on his last season. Uh, I, I thought that there was a likelihood for them to have another seven, eight win season, and Auburn just be like, bye, Gus. And then out of nowhere, they they end up being a tough, tough team um when when we beat when mississippi state beat lsu last year i was like surely we're gonna we're gonna go toe-to-toe with auburn uh i i think i had it at a coin flip but we ended up getting our butts handed to us i still i'm man it's crazy i'm looking at this season and i'm like i'm not sure i believe that they're gonna be that good again but more than likely they are uh I, i'm gonna put them at number four in the SEC West, and that's Ooh.
0: that's
1: that's me going off of gut and just thinking something's not going to pan out for them. Uh, that I, I saw, I saw where there was a listing of the top fifty athletes or the top fifty. Uh, yeah, it was SEC. Uh, no, it, it was, was the it top CCC? fifty
0: in the NCAA. But that list is grossly based on potential because like Shea Patterson the kid for Ole Miss he was he was ranked up there and uh, um, there were some kids that I think maybe the freshman for Cle- I was reading about it there were some kids that had literally played like one half of college football were ranked in the top 50 that list was largely based off potential and recruiting rankings and things like that so I would take it with a grain of salt if you saw somebody on that ranking list
1: well, uh, Jarrett Stidham's who I'm talking about, uh, and, and he ended up being decent last season.
0: Uh, well, he's a dude. Enough,
1: he's a dude. He is. He is. Uh, uh, and I'm putting him at number four, but I, I'm going to put their their win bracket is going to be kind of weird. I'm going to go seven to ten wins Ooh. for Auburn.
0: Oh, you can mark me down for a nine to 11 win system, season.
1: And where are you want to put them
0: I'm gonna put auburn can i can I give a multiple or do I have to have a hard a hard ranking for that
1: yeah, you said hard a lot of times <laughs> well it's yeah, hard auburn to, is
0: hard
1: you, we're gonna be we're gonna be flexible with the win estimate you at most it looks like we're going four five six seven you at most you can give a four. <sighs> Integer window, but ranking has to be you got to pick two. Your, your two, two ranking. Two. Okay. And you're going nine to 11 wins?
0: Yes. Uh, because I think Stenham takes a. Uh, it all depends on the offensive line play because the games where Stenham wasn't sacked six or seven times, he played like a champ. Um, and I, I want to say you can just throw that, uh, UCF bowl game out the window. I'll actually stick up for Danny's team for once. It's proven, and it's a proven fact in the SEC. If you had a chance to play for a national title and you don't, you don't play well in the Sugar Bowl or whatever big bowl game you go to because you were going to go to the national title. So, that being said, if Stenham can get something out of the O line, I think he'll take the next step this year and he can carry Auburn. What I don't know is they they play Georgia, who's going to be very tough. They just made a national title and who beat them in the uh, they split last year one and one. Alabama is going to be tough. I don't know. I can't remember where it's going to be played this year. Um, and then you've got I mean you've got LSU. Depending on where they play, could be tough home game. LSU is very tough at home. Mississippi State. Mississippi State's been playing Auburn very tough for the last four or five years. So. Uh, I think your seven could be a little pessimistic, but I think, what what did I give, nine to 11? I think that's nine to 11. that could be them losing three games, which is very possible. But uh, I wanted to put them between two and three uh, with maybe, when then put Mississippi State at two and three on the ranking, but since I have to put them in at a hard number, it's going to be a two.
1: Okay, okay. Uh yeah, and, and this is something too that really irked me about Auburn last season was the loss to UCF. You you come out there and you beat Alabama and Georgia, but you can't beat a conference USA team. It's it's a solid conference USA team. National With champion to UCF.
0: Don't you be bad mouth well, on the mean, national champion
1: in certain lines of thinking yeah you could make that argument because of Auburn falling up short man they should have went out there and at least at least won a 10 win victory but our 10 point victory but I, UCF was motivated man they had something to prove uh anyway all right man what's up? who's up next
0: I don't know obviously I don't know my ABCs that would uh would it be the LSU? Bengal Tigers or yeah uh, we've done three there's LSU, four left yep. it would be LSU um, LSU is one of them LSU and Texas A&M are one of them teams I just do not know enough about this is going to go off gut instinct I know they promoted the tight end coach to offensive coordinator after firing a guy they were paying over a million dollars in Matt Canada coach O I think he's he's an interim coach. He's one of them guys that gets he gets the players playing for him, but uh, you want him to game manage. I don't think he's got it. But LSU's always got talent. This is so tough. Uh, And they just got that kid from Ohio State that transferred in, and he was supposedly supposed to be pretty good. But how's he going to mold into their new offense? Mm, mm. I'm going to go LSU six to eight. Number slots five six. Number five.
1: Six to eight wins? Yes. Okay. All right. This is where I'm realizing I'm I made a mistake probably putting Auburn at four, but I'm gonna keep them there. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold. My list is bold, Mike. I'm probably gonna be wrong in multiple on multiple teams, but I'm going to put LSU at number six. And I'm going to go ahead and say that this season is a dumpster fire for them.
0: I almost did that.
1: Because they don't have a Fournette or a Geis. They're dependent on Joe Burrow, the Ohio State uh, transfer that you just mentioned, and you're relying... Hmm.
0: I know. I almost want this to change. Ohio, I almost want to change LSU to number six as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Edo is Edo. Edo has gone after this year. I'm I'm going under I, that line of thinking. I don't think I'm they can. Say, I'm saying there's I'm saying, oh what
0: there's too much money. They're still paying less miles, and then if you fire him, then you got to pay for him and his assistants. Yeah, uh, Les was making like six million a year, and O's only making three. But they're still paying, uh, uh, uh what is uh Arrendio er- or whatever? He's making almost like two million a year. The I, the offensive coordinator is probably a steal, probably making seven fifty. But you got to do buyouts on all that. I, I I think he's gonna even if they implode. I think he's gonna be there another year. They can't pay anybody. Mm. They can't pay a new coach yet.
1: I'm going to go, because I've got Arkansas at four to seven, I'm going to put LSU at five to seven. Mm. Five to seven. And I've got them at slot number six. Dumpster fire. Might be worse than that.
0: All right. Uh, Next would be Mississippi State. Take it away.
1: Well, Mississippi Mississippi State. Does Mississippi come before Mississippi State, or are you going Ole Miss? It's Ole
0: Miss. I I don't know why. Yeah, this isn't College Game Day trying to be politically correct. That is Ole Miss. It will always be Ole Miss. Yeah, it's Ole Miss. They put it on the helmet. We call know, them Ole Miss.
1: Okay. Do you know? Do you know the two possible? Um. What, origins of that yeah, name.
0: I or know was. the one that's pissing people off is that it's the it's the 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 plantation owner's wife, and they they called her Miss, and it's old Miss, and these people are just stupid in the head and trying to figure up reasons to ruin college football. Uh, the other one probably means like Old Mississippi back in the Jim Crow days. I don't know. They're probably both racist or something in people's minds. I don't know.
1: Well, you're, you're right. One of them is the plantation owner's wife is Ole Miss. Uh the other one is Ole Miss and it's a term of endearment. You know, your your homeland, uh Ole Miss. The the state of Mississippi. Uh you when you refer fondly onto it, Old mm-hmm. Miss. And it's just like you we say that all the time. You know, that's old Mike over there. That's old Danny. It's a term of endearment. So it, it could be either one of those or a combination of the two. But anyway, all right. Mississippi State up next. Uh the only football program in Mississippi that actually matters. Uh, and I'm on record. You could put that on my tombstone, Mike.
0: Where did you go to college a, uh, last?
1: Uh, I, I, you know what? The, the, the diploma that has helped me earn the most money, <laughs> <laughs> that's the one from Ole Miss. <laughs> uh, both good schools. I, I, I won't say anything wrong with the school. I, I loved my time at the University of Mississippi. Uh,
0: well, you uh, know, I actually, uh, was on the river the, uh, two weekends ago or last weekend, two weekends ago with our friend Justin and, uh, we were, we were sitting on or we were out in the water in front of the sandbar and this young man who, um, he had brought a boat out and it had some young ladies on it. And, uh, let's just say they were treating it as an Instagram photo shoot. Not maybe, maybe not particular to the story, but that's how we got to talking with this kid is because he saw us and they, a friend, had broke down, so they went to get him. And he said uh, when he came back up, we had saved a spot, and he said y'all probably thought we'd just come out here to take pictures and then leave. And it turned out that uh, he uh, went, to, he was going on Miss or something, but I forgot. But one of their friends was from Mississippi State and the kid said that oxford was the better city cuz there was more stuff to do but he was a mississippi state fan but he did put out there that oxford was the better city what 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 are, what are your thoughts
1: oh man from the standpoint of a college town mississippi state is is very unique in starkville uh we've got a little part called the cotton district it's a part of the downtown uh very unique i i've never seen anything like it for oxford you have the square which there's more than one university that has a square as a downtown most most places most towns in in a place like mississippi that had squares no longer have a prolific square the the industry there the retail has died down because of the unique relationship that a college town has with a university there's enough people there to sustain a square so like you know college towns like oxford have a prolific square there's re- uh, restaurants there's shops there's uh, commerce and there's business uh commerce and business may be the same thing i don't know but there's like banks uh there the courthouse is downtown in the square really cool uh, the oxford square is a really cool place the food okay is Wh- which one's though. better oh boy tough i don't know that i can tell you i don't know that i can tell you cuz mississippi state's got my heart man it does it's got my heart oxford i enjoyed every bit of it i won't say a, a a negative thing about it if if i have to go back and retire in either of those two towns i will be just ecstatic i'll be happy and content well no let's talk football
0: yeah, because we're not going to get an answer on that one, all right?
1: <laughs> You're not. You're not. Uh, okay, Mississippi State, man. I I wasn't very high on this team early summer, but the closer we're getting, and I, I'm hearing optimistic things about Nick Fitzgerald and his recovery, so much hinges on that, so much. But I'm going to put them, and I don't care if it makes me a homer, or are a, a belligerent fan. I'm going to put Mississippi State as number two in the West. And I'm going to put our window of victory as low as eight and as high as ten. Uh, I'm writing that down right now. So as low as eight and as high as ten, we've got so much riding on Nick Fitzgerald. We still have Arius Williams coming back at running back. He is solid NFL talent running back. Our O-line looks solid. Our defensive line has two guys on it that are NFL caliber. They're the best I've ever seen in Starkville. They're nasty. You can't double team one because it frees up the other. So Joe Moorhead is going to bring an offensive mind. There's enough talent on defense to compensate even poor schematics uh, in the coaching department. If Fitz is healthy and can run the ball, we are going to win 10 games. If Fitz is used conservatively or gets hurt again and re-injures himself, we're not going to win more than eight. So that's why I'm putting that eight to 10 win, and I'm, I'm really leaning towards the 10 right now.
0: I also have Mississippi State eight to ten wins but unlike you that's why earlier I wanted to put do a two-3 because I have flip-flop between Auburn and Mississippi State and it's like you it just depends what happens with the quarterback um, but I have Mississippi I'll put Mississippi State at three but eight to ten wins um I agree with you I'm not so much as worried about the court like I am a little bit about the quarterback but that kid. Uh who's the backup?
1: Keaton Thompson.
0: Yeah, he showed something during that Louisville bowl game and I think if Nick Fitzgerald were to get hurt in the previous game or during practice during the week that that kid would have been ready enough to win the Egg Bowl. I think coming in in uh what do he come in the first or second quarter in the middle of a big game, yeah. I think that threw him off just enough to where Ole Miss was, because it was a close game, wasn't it? I mean, it wasn't a blowout by Ole Miss, was it?
1: No, no, it, it, it and we even had a chance to win it at the end.
0: See, so I think if he has some, at least some practice time during the week, they win the Ole Miss game. I'm not as worried about him because he did show flashes. But, yeah, Fitzgerald is healthy. I agree. They could be as high as two, no lower than three probably in the West. So, um, and their defense, they've got two monsters up front that are going to be putting pressure on quarterbacks and demolishing running backs. Um, uh, I'm not as sure about the rest of the defense. Normally state has a, at least they've got some hard hitting safeties. Uh, Darius Slay came out of state, so they got, they can normally recruit a, a kid or two that can cover, um, the offensive line is normally serviceable. I mean, they like the big guys cause they like to run the ball, um, but I think state's got a chance um, uh, this uh, the um, Moorhead, Moorhead, is that the guy's name the coach
1: yep Joe Mo.
0: yeah he, he's going come from, he's coming from Penn State where they aired the ball out a little bit more not as many quarterback runs as what Mullen had at state um, but if he's a good coach he'll he'll change his scheme to the players he's got that's what successful coaches do. The um, heck, there may be some times when he's got two quarterbacks in there, and he's he's faking one way and uh, and doing something crazy. You don't know, but I, I think Mississippi State's going to be good enough for minimum third in the West, high as two, and who knows if if Saban's got quarterback drama, there's a chance that Auburn and State could leapfrog them and be playing for number one. Who knows?
1: All right. That brings us to uh, the evil football team.
0: Ole Miss. Uh, look, I don't All know right. much about Ole Miss. I don't follow Ole Miss because that's where Rich snobs go to school. But uh, I've read a few things about college football during the offseason. And uh, everybody's saying Ole Miss could be a really fun team this year. I know the quarterback that took over for Patterson's got some talent. He's got some skill. Uh, I know Van Jefferson did transfer to Florida, and he's getting to play right away. But uh, uh, Ole Miss has – there's another kid that didn't leave that everybody's saying is the number one wide receiver in college. I can't think of his name. Maybe Aaron's got it. Um, But there's a lot of people that are ranking him the number one receiver in college right now. Um, That being said, um, I'm going to go seven to eight wins. It's pretty solid for me. I don't want to go up to nine. I mean, it's possible, but why not? Okay, why not? Seven to nine, fourth place in the West.
1: Solid prediction. Seven to nine, sixth in the West? Fourth. Fourth. Ooh. Oh boy.
0: This is where I'm really regretting okay. putting LSU at fifth. I'm really regret- regretting it now.
1: Okay, so I think you're talking about A.J. Brown. Is that right? Yes,
0: that would be it.
1: All right, I'm pretty sure this is the guy that is from Starkville and hates Mississippi State with a passion, which is very unfortunate because we need a wide receiver like him so bad. <laughs> so bad. I wish he would have came. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, the way I've slated things with the dumpster-fired LSU – Ole Miss is gonna slide into fifth in the West in my prediction. Um and I, I'm gonna go six to eight wins. Six to eight. Uh potential, potential to be good and end up on that eight win side, but uh Matt Luke, I don't see elite in him. Uh and and he he's he's too emotional in the game like he one second he's like yelling about something and the next second they get a stop for a one yard gain and he's like cheering on the sideline you know it's just weird like you that's not worth showing an emotional explosion over your players are watching you they're taking your lead uh you you've got to be you've got to you've got to read maybe that that's not good enough for you you i don't know you you need to stay saban when saban loses it it's over things that are significant to the game so i don't know matt luke's got a ways to go before he's in that elite caliber so just based on him alone which isn't fair uh and even a.j brown man he can make the difference I still got them having a winning season, even in the the worst situation. But uh, six to eight, I think, is pretty solid.
0: All right, and you've got them at f- sixth, fifth, fifth,
1: fifth. fifth. Okay. Fifth.
0: So that leaves a And M.
1: a And M. A And M.
0: Jimbo's coming to town. I don't trust their quarterbacks. They got a they got a good running back. Very good running back. Uh, he's actually going to run behind a fullback now. Um, Kevin Sumlin recruited some talent. I know some of it, especially the quarterbacks, transferred out. Um, I think it's going to be a culture change going from Jimbo or from Kevin Sumlin to Jimbo. I think I think it's going to take two years for Jimbo to get his players in there or to get the Kevin Sumlin guys out. Um I uh, should have put LSU at sixth and AM at five, but I've got to lock a- A&M in at sixth just because I don't trust the quarterbacks. I mean, it's been proven you can win with a running back, but not, uh, not to get a lot. Um, six to seven wins. Okay.
1: All right. Yeah. Uh, you know what's crazy? Nick Starkle looks like it's it's it looks like he has a debilitating disease. And I I don't mean that like I'm not trying to be insulting in any way. Who is that? His facial he's he's uh he's one of the two quarterbacks that compete for the I I was making I
0: was making sure that's yeah Kellen Mond is the other one, yeah.
1: Kellen Mond, Nick Starkle. But Starkle, even though he looks unhealthy, any He's not very, like, he's not built, you know? Like, he's not just, like, buff like uh, Jalen Hurts or uh, Fitzgerald. He is talented, though. He's a good quarterback. Uh, he he, ca- he can make it happen. He just has, like, those sunken features in his face that looks like he's melancholic or something. <laughs> um, that being said, Jimbo Fisher to Texas A&M scares the, the hell out of me. I think that the days of A uh, and M disappointing its fans are over. It may not be a one year turnaround. If uh, you know, if if we can take a walk down memory lane to Saban's first years at Alabama, they weren't up to the standard of what he has now. It took time to build those. But if if Jimbo Fisher does the same thing at A and M that he did at Florida State. A&M is going to be the number two or three team from here on out in the West, if not competing for number one every year. A&M's got the recruiting base. They've got the fan base and the funding facilities. They have it all. And now they've put a leader in charge of that program who can take them to that, that level. Yeah, the question is – He's been he to the mountaintop before. <laughs> yeah, the question is, does he have the resources he needs to knock the king off the hill? Or is he going to get up to the hill and then get punched in the face by the King again?
0: Well, I mean, Texas A&M did put four, over $400 million into renovating their stadium and their football facilities. So I don't think funding is an issue. I mean, Kevin Sumlin got that money because of Johnny Manziel. They won 10 games and beat Alabama one year. If you can consistently win ten games and knock off, you know, because that's what kill, you know, that's what gets coaches fired in the Auburn Alabama game. If you can't beat the other team, you get fired. Les Miles quit beating Alabama. He became expendable. Jimbo Fisher. Yep. If you can beat Alabama, not every year, but consistently or, or at least split it. Right now, you know, in 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 the next ten years, it could go back to being a Florida Tennessee dominated li- league like it was in the late nineties and early two thousands. You know, the po- the balance of power could shift again. But if you can consistently beat the top dog, or at least split it, and you are not getting trampled, you are going to have success.
1: Yep. So I've got a I've got Texas A and M at number three in the West. What, really in the first them-
0: year. Come on, man.
1: Yeah, I'm realizing I should have flipped. Auburn should have been three, but we're locked in now, and I didn't allow you to change, so I, I can't change either. So, Texas A&M, and this is weird. Man, I've got them at three because I think they're going to end up on the higher end of this, but I'm going to go seven to, seven to ten wins. Mm. Yep. All right, so to recap. Mike, you have Alabama at number 1 in the West with 10 to 12 wins, Auburn at number 2 with 9 to 11, State with 8 to 10 wins in the number 3 slot, Ole Miss in the number 4 slot with 7 to 9 wins, LSU in the 5th slot with 6 to 8 wins, and AM in the 6th slot with 6 to 7 wins, and Arkansas in seventh with three to six wins i have alabama number one with 11 to 12 wins mississippi state at number two with eight to ten wins a&m at number three with seven to ten auburn uh number four with seven to ten and five Ole miss six to eight lsu with five to seven arkansas with four to seven
0: It'll be interesting to see how those numbers play out at the end of the year and uh, if we were as bad picking uh, college football as we were with picking college basketball in March Madness. But we'll find out. And uh, on the next show we'll get into the SEC East and uh, I'll get to pull out my homer like uh, like Aaron did with his in Mississippi State. Um, But... uh You got anything else you want to say about the West before I move to uh, another topic?
1: I think it's time for the movies, man.
0: Well, I've got one more sports topic I want to talk to you about. I I don't know how big you are into this, but it's that time of year again when when when, when baseball takes center stage. And I'm not talking about college baseball. I'm not talking about the MLB. I'm talking about Little League Baseball. ESPN covering the Little League World Series, to me, other than the Super Bowl and the NFL and college football playoffs, and college, this, is, this would be like my number three sporting event to watch. I love watching these little kids get out there. They got so much emotion. They got their heart into this game. They're playing for fun. They're playing for their family. They're playing for their state. Then they play for their country. And then when they make it to Williamsport, they've got so much sportsmanship. The coaches do a great job of, you know, they want them to win, but they also want them to be good people and have sportsmanship. Uh, I, I think it's just one of the greatest things that ESPN puts on, and that that's this Little League World Series. Do you watch it or are you a fan?
1: Do I watch Little League World Series?
0: Yes. Do you watch the Little League World Series on ESPN? No. You are un-American, sir. Un-American.
1: I think that's too much pressure on kids, dude.
0: (sighs) To play Little League baseball?
1: No, they can play Little League baseball, but that's about them and their friends and their family. It's not about putting it on TV and mom and dad are already thinking college scholarship and maybe MLB one day. That that takes all of the fun out of sports. You know, if you, when you, when we were
0: eleven and twelve, you could have been here as well.
1: I was never that good.
0: Well, I'm just I saying, when we played baseball, if you would and you made the all-star team and you would have won won your re, won your district, then won one regional, then state, and then the big regional, you would have made it to Williamsport. I mean. These people, they've been going to William Sports since like the 50s.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. And, and maybe you're not trying to get this broad, but on the topic of Little League Baseball, people take that way too seriously. I, my nephew plays Little League Baseball, and I went to one of his games. And, you know, like for the first 30 minutes, I'm sitting there watching, I'm like thinking, man, this would be so great. I think I could coach one of these teams, I think it'd be a blast. <laughs> About five minutes later, a parent starts cussing out the umpire and the coaches. And I'm sitting there thinking, good Lord. I asked somebody, I said, how much does that umpire even make? And it's like 25 bucks a night to even come or uh, be an official at one of those games. That dude's doing it because he loves the sport. And you're sitting here chewing him out thinking that he's got a vendetta against your kid and some kind of political agenda to ruin their life and their baseball career. You're crazy. I don't want anything to do with that and that's too much pressure these kids are out there to have fun they need to learn structure they need to learn rules they need to learn sportsmanship they sure as heck are not out there to see who's gonna rack up record stats and be a professional baseball player one day you can put that pressure on them when they get to the high school level you can put that pressure hey if you want to play in college you have to straighten up you got to make the grades you got to come out here and, and exercise and practice and work out and perform under pressure that's fine little league though come on man putting it on well. tv
0: I just think this is a great experience for these kids, and like I said, I love watching it because they, they're they playing for themselves, they're playing for their teams, they're playing for their parents, and I mean, its they're playing to win an, a national title and an international title. They're playing for memories. i uh, I think if you were to watch it, you would get into it a little bit more because it, it it's not like what you see at the park and in and, and you know Mississippi and all that. It's it's a little different. I think if you would actually check it out, you would you would get a little better uh, you know understanding of it and get get a little more appreciation for it. So yeah. I challenge you to watch one game. Is
1: it, it's on TV right now, like this time. I'm
0: year? I'm looking at a game right now. Well, it's in commercial break, but, uh, but but right now they're in the regionals. They're building up to go to Williamsport. Uh, it'll be next week, or I think before they're actually in Williamsport. But right now they're in. they like the regional semifinals and finals will be this weekend. But but I'll yeah, what I, I can do. I just wanted to bring that up because I I mean I love watching this. I I've watched it for like ten years in a row now, maybe longer than that. I don't know uh, yeah, I think it may be, maybe 12 years, 12 or, uh, 16 years. I don't, I've watched it for forever. It's, it's fun to watch the kids or the kids get into it, but that's, that's my rant on little league baseball. Well, Not really rant, just my pitch for little league baseball. Um, as you mentioned before, it's time for the movies. And this week we let Aaron pick the topic and he chose top five superhero movies. So, uh, we're also going to give our worst, but I think we should give our best and then give our worst that way. That way it gives a little, yeah. Yeah. What'd you leave out? Okay. So what is your number five?
1: All right. Came out of left field on this one. Oh, the Incredibles it's animated. It's not under that genre of Marvel or DC. So it took me a few minutes in, in my, uh, on my drive home from work today thinking about this, but the Incredibles is an all around good movie. They have superpowers, so it fits the description of superhero, but it's animated. Uh, there's, there's humor, there's suspense, good storyline, great movie, the Incredibles.
0: Okay. I, I, I wasn't even thinking about that, but that was a good movie. Um, My number five would be Deadpool 2. Ryan Reynolds was born to play Deadpool. Uh, The Merc with the Mouth. I mean, his his sarcastic delivery is just perfect. The second one was just as good as the first one. Hope there's a crossover eventually with Deadpool joining another superhero. Um, uh, So, yeah, Deadpool 2 is my number five.
1: All right. Uh, Number four. I've got Spider Man, the version with Andrew Garfield. So he's there there's there's Toby Maguire, there's Andrew Garfield, and there's the new guy who I'm not even gonna name because he's he's good but he's my least favorite Spider Man. So uh, the Andrew Garfield version though, like he's tall, he's lanky, he's he's nerdy, Whiny. he's he in whines. a way that's funny. No, well, okay, Andrew Garfield, yes. Not, not professional in the sense of accountability and reliability on the set. But on the screen, perfect Spider-Man. I love him. So Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield where he fights uh, the, the lizard man, the professor. That's a great movie. <sighs>
0: Tobey Maguire will always be my Spider-Man. <sighs>
1: love you, Tobey.
0: Alright, so number four for me is, um, oh, it's tough, I didn't write these down this time because I didn't think it was going to be this hard, but number four for me is going to be, oh, I'm going to put, I'm going to put Logan in there, uh, it's, I like the Wolverine character. I like Hugh Jackman. There's a couple of different, I mean, uh, you, I could put him in there for maybe days of future past or something, but, uh, Logan, uh, and a lot of people agree uh, is pr- uh, probably the most serious superhero movie, but just what he's dealing with from the emotional standpoint and what he's going through. I thought Logan was a very good movie. It, it really brought, uh, your, your emotions out and your, your, uh, sentiment. Um, And it was a good story, good soundtrack, very good movie. Uh, I got Logan at number four.
1: All right, interesting that you went that way right there because my number three is the 2000 version. In the year 2000, the original X-Men, well, I say original, but it's the first X-Men movie in the line of the X-Men series. So I went with this because I had a conversation with my brother, Andrew, uh, my drive home, we were talking about this, and I just wanted to get his input. And I mentioned the Spider-Man film with Andrew Garfield, and he was like, I don't know, dude. I think the Tobey Maguire version, while not as good, I, and he may not have said while not as good, but he said the Tobey Maguire version was a pioneer of a film at its time, saying that you know it spurred this uh, energy and interest in renewing the superhero uh, fanaticism. So, when I got to looking though, and I mentioned X Men in our conversation because I thought that was a great movie and it was going to make the list anyway. But I mentioned the X Men film, and then when I looked, it came out before that Spider Man movie. So, it is the film that actually spurred the interest and in the renewal of the the Marvel comics, especially creating new movies. So, mm. it's a it's a good one. It's got Hugh Jackman as as Wolverine, which spurred what three or four movies on its own um you've got uh the first time that i think CGI was successfully coupled in a superhero film um it's to the point where you're learning about the origins so it's it's tied into the science and it's not so much deep into this made up universe that it's still believable so even people who don't really get into all the sci-fi stuff they watch this and think hey yeah, maybe that could happen. So, X Men Two Thousand. Yeah, number
0: three. Number three for me is going to be, and and number five. I'm going to throw this out as a cat. Number five was really hard for me because I I could have probably put Guardians of the Galaxy a number volume one uh, mm-hmm. at number mm-hmm. five, but. Um, Deadpool is just... He's so different than everybody. So, I'm going to go and say... 5A was Deadpool 2. 5B was... uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Just because... Because my number three movie is The Avengers. The original Avengers. And to me... uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was kind of like the Deadpool of the ensemble cast. You know, they were the outcasts. They weren't the typical heroes. They... Uh, had the mean streak. Gar- uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, a very good movie, but the Avengers—the first time they threw all those superheroes together, they 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 had jokes, they had chemistry, it just worked. Um, now, when they throw them all together, like Age uh, Ultron, it, it was like a three-hour movie where they were falling all over themselves to try and fit every character on screen, and it was just a joke. But I think the Avenger, the original Avengers, was very very well done and you know they didn't have as many heroes now so it it didn't have to split it as much so i've got the avengers original at number three
1: interesting good pick uh number two batman the dark knight with christian bale and uh oh boy i'm forgetting his name
0: heath ledger
1: heath ledger oh my god dude heath ledger as the joker is potentially the best character portrayal ever done uh, and he, he doesn't play it like the comic book or the cartoon though so it, it's weird because it's not necessarily accurate but it is fulfilled you know like that the, the, the uh, what's the movie with Will Smith um, uh,
0: Suicide Squad
1: Suicide Squad, that Joker is, is much closer to the cartoon Joker uh, than what Heath Ledger's version is. But Heath Ledger's version is more realistic. So, like, right. if you're trying to convert the, the comic book into real world, uh, the way he dresses, the way his makeup is done, and the way he plays that character is something you could see. And, like, it could actually happen, I think. And, well, and that's the way that movie. It, so I've got that at number two. That's just a good movie. I could watch that movie multiple times in a year and I don't get bored with it. Uh,
0: that's actually my number two movie as well. Um, I agree with you. Heath Ledger totally made that movie. Uh, I was sad to see him go because uh, I would love to have seen if... I don't think if he would have... I don't think if he would have killed himself, They may it may have turned into... Uh, they may have killed him off anyway but i think if he makes it through they may have kept him around and we would have got him for two movies i don't know but yes the the joker is the whole reason that movie is my second he he was the greatest villain uh so far and they're actually about to make another joker movie i forget the actor that's playing the joker it's a pretty popular actor if they're not bringing in some scrub but it's going to be like an uh, almost an origin story of the Joker. I think it's going to be set maybe during the 80s or something. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I've got The Dark Knight uh, at number two as well. Such a good movie.
1: All right, big number one, Iron Man. Mm. Robert Downey Jr., baby.
0: To me, uh, that is the movie that movie. really kicked off the superhero uh, juggernaut of the film industry.
1: The interest in creating an Avengers film, for sure, was spurred by Iron Man. Uh, Iron Man quickly became the coolest superhero after that movie, and and maybe it's the believability factor tied in everything. Um, anyway, uh, that's my number one, Iron Man. I, I liked Iron the Man. Of Robert Downey Jr.
0: And if I would have had to think about it now, my list, I I, I would have put, I would have taken Deadpool off, but I I would have put Guardians of the Galaxy at five. Iron Man is one of my favorites. It it is one that I liked and originally, you know, Robert Downey, the same as, uh, Ryan Reynolds, perfect. The only actor that could have done Iron Man and everybody would have loved, um, it, it was a great movie uh, chemistry everywhere on, on the whole movie but my number one is Deadpool uh, I don't know if it's because it's the R rated factor and the dirty jokes but to me or the fact that they get the joke you know the big thing about Deadpool is like is they understand and they're making fun of themselves. You know, at the beginning of the movie where it says director, instead of saying his name, they say, oh, he was the guy that killed off Old Yeller because that was the movie he had directed. Or or, 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 you know, something. That they get the joke. And to me, Deadpool yeah. was just groundbreaking. Not groundbreaking, but it was just so different. I guess you could say groundbreaking, but it was just so out of the mold that uh even though it was r-rated and cut out so many it still made a lot of money and hopefully yeah. hopefully deadpool is going to push the studios to make more dark or more adult themed superheroes instead of the avengers that are kind of bubblegum that that was my number 1
1: awesome good movie choice there all right, so my, my worst movie choice, and this is directed just at how the series of movies have gone because they haven't stuck with one guy, uh, and it's the Hulk series mm. of movies. They're, they're all over the place. Uh, they're all over the target board there. Uh, starting in 2003 when they used Eric Bana as, as uh, the Hulk, I like how that one portrays the Hulk, in that, the angrier he gets, the bigger and stronger he gets, and there's no limit to his power. I like that because that makes him the most powerful unit, uh, the the most powerful superhero in the Marvel universe. If you follow that uh, that guide, that he gets angry, he gets bigger, he gets stronger. Then you come out with the version in two thousand and eight. I don't remember who played that one. Edward Norton. Uh, Edward Norton, and and he becomes a great potential character, and uh, I don't know. He he becomes the first Hulk that controls the Hulk power, and it's because at the end of the film, you, he opens his eyes and they're green, and and it, it gives the. <sighs> hmm. What's the word? You can, uh, I don't know. You, it, it gives the impression that he can control the Hulk power. That's the one that should have went in the Avengers. That Hulk. Not, uh, shoot, was it Mark Ruffalo? Mm. Mark Ruffalo playing the Hulk, I hate it with a passion. And that's why the series of the Hulk films, and they never did a movie with Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk, which uh, might have made I can me like him better. I can
0: tell you why if you want to know why it's because Disney does not own the Hulk Hulk is still owned by Sony or who who whoever originally made the two Hulk movies they still own him that's why the Hulk can be featured in movies but he can't have his own new movie is because mm. I don't they must have worked something out where they could use him but they can't make a new one where he is the main character
1: gotcha All right, so what's your worst?
0: Well, there was a lot to choose from. You've got uh, the Fantastic Four. I'm not a real big fan of the original one or the new make with Miles Teller and all that. You've got um, X-Men 2, X-Men 3 were just atrocious in my opinion. I wasn't a big fan of Halle Berry and... Uh, I, I, I wasn't a big fan of the actors in general, except for except for Xavier and Wolverine. The other ones can, were just mind-numbingly boring. Um, right. You've got some of the Spider Mans that were just terrible. Um, I'm I'm probably missing some more bad superhero. Uh, Black Panther, never seen it, but it looks bad. Um, uh. I'm gonna have to go with X-Men, X Men, X X two and X three. They, I get, I get. They were made during a different time, you know, early two thousands, mid two thousands, where those movies were were still being made a certain way, but they were just so bad. Those, those are gonna be my two X two and X three. Thoughts? Thoughts? Any thoughts?
1: Yes. Uh, if I had to pick a second worst film, it would be the version of Batman with George Clooney.
0: Oh, I didn't even uh, think about that. I wasn't even thinking all the way yeah. back to the super, the Supermans of the 70s and 80s, just because I didn't watch them. But yeah, I did watch that well, George you Clooney blame, Batman.
1: You, you can blame those on the times, I think, but when you're talking about... Uh, I mean, think about the origins of like Superman and Batman, uh, when when those first came out, they were silly just because the technology and the times dictated that it looked that way. But uh with George Clooney as Batman, that was nineteen ninety seven, just three years away from X Men coming out, and X Men was a different level of seriousness. That Batman and Robin with George Clooney and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. That was that was just goofy. There's too yeah. much color in that, like yeah. neon, weird stuff. You're uh, right.
0: And and now that you're reminding me of this, my worst superhero movie is going to be Superman Returns. It came out in like 2006. It had uh, it had I forget the guy's name, but it had like Kate Bosworth in it. It was basically a complete remake of the original Superman from the 70s. Terrible movie. The actors sucked. It was a terrible movie. But just to close ah. this out on... Yeah, see, you forget about it, too, because it was so bad, you blocked it out. You're right. But to leave you with something you might want to check out, it's not really superhero, but it kind of is, Ben... uh, Not Ben Affleck. Ben Stiller, uh, Greg Kinnear... Um, oh, shoot. What's the guy's name? He uh, Hank Azaria, uh, William H. Macy, they star in this movie called Mystery Men... Uh, it's a funny movie. Mm. I, do you know it?
1: I think I saw it a long time ago. Isn't there a guy that thinks he's invisible, but he's really not? Uh, yes, I think so. It's the guy who played Kel in *Keenan and Kel, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yep, seen it.
0: It's It's pretty funny decent. Movie. All right, well... I think we've pretty much run to the end of our time on this episode of the Lodge. Uh, We'll see you all next time. Uh, We'll see you all next time at the fire. Bye, everybody.
1: All right.